This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast, and I'm your host this week, Ann Nicholson-Weber. My guests are Andrew Hinderocker, Jonathan Barry, and Michael Patrick Thornton, all of whom are involved with the production of Suicide Incorporated, a play um, that's going to open at the Gift Theater in a few days. 17th? 17th. Yeah, four days from now. Wow. Just starting previews. First previews tonight. Uh, Andrew is the playwright, Jonathan directed the show, and Michael Patrick Thornton is the artistic director at GIFT and is one of the actors in the show. And I thought we would look at this production as the culmination of a long process, which is the process by which a new play gets written, gets developed, gets kind of vetted out there somehow, and every now and then finds its way to a theater like The Gift, which is doing something exciting and new. So, Andrew, that would mean starting with you and the very beginning of Suicide Incorporated. Kind of when did you first start to write it and how did it come about? Sure. Uh, I believe I wrote the play in the spring of 2007. I, it's, it's been a while now, so it's hard to remember, but I believe that's when the first draft was written. Uh-huh. Um, I had uh, wanted to write a piece that focused on uh, suicide and suicide and masculinity, uh, having lost someone to suicide, a, a young man, and uh, I found it a difficult subject to broach for mm-hmm. some of the same reasons that people coming to the theater might find it difficult. Uh, but um, at the time, in, in 2007, I was working for a fairly uh, miserable company that, that claims to edit admissions essays uh, oh. for undergraduate <laughs> and, and grad school Ew. programs. And you know, by, by edit, they really mean that you essentially rewrite somebody's essay. Oh. So I did that for about two weeks before I, I couldn't stomach it any longer and, and left that. Uh, but uh, I, I suppose I'm grateful for it because I think that's where the idea for this company that uh, edits its client suicide notes came from. And it, it felt like a window in to tell the story with some humor, uh, to tell it in an exciting fashion. And uh, as soon as I had the concept, actually, the entire storyline kind of unraveled before me. So then you had a draft. And as I say, if we're looking on this as the case study for what happens to a new play. Sure. Um, first of all, I assume that a first draft is not very far along that you have still a lot to I do. I find that my first drafts are, are word perfect and I, and I leave it from there. But no, it was, it was rough. Yeah, it was, it was rough to say the least. Uh-huh. Uh, I've had the experience usually the, the first drafts that I write, the, the soul of the piece is intact. Uh, what I'm trying to write about is there. And beyond that, I would try not to show it to anyone uh, <laughs> lest, they, lest they judge me too harshly. So that's kind of a discovery process for you. You write it to figure out what it is you want to write about. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just a different process, at least for me, the, the first draft and every other subsequent draft. The uh, mm-hmm. creation versus revision is a different part of the brain for me. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I wrote that initial draft and knew that it needed uh, significant work after that. And um, and so there were there were several subsequent drafts, and I, I workshopped it at Chicago Dramatists uh, in a seminar I did there, and I, uh, a weekly writing group that I attended, I would bring scenes to and, and listen to them and this group of writers. And they, they of course understand the revision process. So they understand that a piece is in development and are very supportive of that. Yeah. I think the thing to, to point out maybe, which is obvious to a playwright, but maybe not to everyone is that a play is really nothing on the page, unlike most kinds of writing, um, unlike a poem, unlike a novel. So the process you're describing with your writer's group of having it read or the reading at dramatists, Chicago dramatists. So what do you tend to learn 
from a reading? What kinds of things do you tend to learn from a reading as compared to just reading it yourself? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, it, it varies a bit depending on whether it's a group of writing writers sitting around in a circle reading to each other or um, a, a stage reading like we did at Steppenwolf from Victory Gardens. Well, you skipped a step there. Okay, so let's say so you've Go got back. The, right. We've okay. got the reading at Chicago Dramatists. You've been betting it with your playwrights group. Yes. Then you submitted it to... Actually, first I submitted it to a, a playwriting conference called the Seven Devils Conference, which is a, a national conference organized by folks uh, who come from the O'Neill Conference and wanted to replicate that experience, a two-week immersive, um, go out into the mountains in Idaho uh, oh. with a group of actors from all over the country, and uh, they pick four writers each year to to develop a play and to mentor a playwright. Uh, and I was the good fortune of being selected for that. So that was the first stage of its public development happened mm -hmm. through the Seven Devils Conference. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, and then we had subsequent readings at Victory Gardens and at Steppenwolf. And how did, and just kind of logistically, how did that happen? I mean, did you have to resubmit it or did something at Seven Devils lead to either of those other readings? Well, it's, um, the, the thing that happened with, um, with the Steppenwolf reading was uh, a number of friends had recommended I get in touch with Ed Sobel, who was the director of new play development at the time. Mm -hmm. And I had sent him for probably two, two and a half years, had sent him just a message every few months to touch base. And he was always interested in getting together, but he's an extraordinarily generous man. And so he is, he is working with a lot of artists at a time. And uh, he, he finally got in touch with me and said, uh, this is about six months before the reading said, mm -hmm. let's get together. I've, you know, heard some things about you, and we talked for an hour about. He hadn't uh, read anything at that. He hadn't point. read anything, uh -huh. and we talked for an hour just about plays and how we felt about them and uh -huh. what plays excited us. And I got up from the table and and was about to leave, and he he said, you know, do you want to give me something to read? Or is that <laughs> is, <laughs> I'm not a good schmoozer, and it's not it's not really in my blood. Uh, uh -huh. And so I I gave him a play. Uh, Actually, not not a particularly good play, and I had the good fortune of him saying, "Would you like to give me a second play? I'd be happy to read two of yours." I really am bad at this. Uh -huh. uh, and I, the second play I gave him was Suicide Incorporated. And uh, as I came to learn that was on his radar for the First Look Festival, mm -hmm. I let him know that I would be leaving town uh, for Idaho because that would coincide with the rehearsal process where that play selected. Mm -hmm. uh, and he got in touch to let me know that. It uh, was on their short list. It ultimately was not selected for production through First Look, but they picked three additional plays to give a, a reading for, and uh, and it was selected for that. And just to clarify, First Look is the series at Steppenwolf in the summer where they do productions of a bunch of new plays and, as you point out, readings as well. So that's got to, it's set up to give new scripts a chance mm -hmm. to be in front of an audience. Yeah, absolutely. And then there was Victory Gardens. Yes, and I'm realizing I'm jumbling the chronology because I think it went Victory Gardens, Seven and Devils, Steppen and, and then Steppenwolf. Uh -huh. um, and the Victory Gardens thing was funny. I was a script reader for the time uh, about a year prior to that, and Aaron Carter, who's their literary manager, uh, had been in a pinch and had a festival and needed a bunch of scripts read. And uh, and so I agreed to, to read them for him mm -hmm. and kind of as a thank you, he didn't, he didn't even tell me he was going to read it, but he had Suicide Incorporated on file and he read it, uh, and, and got in touch saying he wanted to give it a reading. So really, uh, I'm the worst person to talk to about networking because it's all happened by people 
doing it on my behalf, being right. very nice about doing it. I think it's important that both my relationship with Aaron and Ed mm-hmm. uh, began outside of the context of saying, hey, I, I right. have this play. Right. And, it wasn't and, a cold call, basically. You had done something for them or you knew them through some other And context. just had developed a relationship. Right. Uh, right. It's it's a small mountain of scripts that folks like that have to to look right. through. So I think if, if I had advice for aspiring writers, it's to develop a relationship and find those folks in town that you really connect with. Right. So, um, so now Jonathan and Michael, you came into the process as part of that Steppenwolf first look and did Ed, um, Jonathan, does Ed set up who the directors are or did you know, Andrew, how did you come into that? Uh, Ed, uh, Ed gave me kind of a cold call on this. I had directed, uh, Melinda Lopez's Gary in the first look previous and got that job because Ed was teaching a playwright collaboration class at Northwestern when I was an MFA student Mm -hmm. and uh, happened to sort of, you know, have me in class and see me work with playwrights and, you know, got a a bug in his ear about me, which is, you know, just really, really grateful that I'd gone to Northwestern where those connections sort of paid off immediately into a job. Right. Um, You know, the first meeting, I think, was really, it was funny because, you know, I'd read the play and then you sort of meet the person who writes the play. And, mm-hmm. um, I don't know what you expect when you meet a writer, but Andrew was like, not at all what I had expected. He was sort of wearing shell necklaces and had his, you know, <laughs> short hair and like, he sort of looks like a frat guy just rolled oh. out of bed and wrote this <laughs> in, in, in a, in a, in a, in a non-writerly non, whatever our vision of what a writer is. We've so. teased him at rehearsal and have asked him how the volleyball game went that day. <laughs> Um, but it's, um, you know, it's just always fortunate then to read a play that is sort of so exciting and so vital and so moving. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we had a really, a really fast, they don't put a lot of, uh, a lot of sort of time and energy into those readings because so many resources are going to the play. So I think we had three rehearsals in an Mm -hmm. evening and then uh, a quick up and just reading and, um. We didn't have any auditions for it. Erica Daniels is an uh, awfully smart casting director, and she and I had worked together before, so we sort of went through a brief description of character with Andrew and um, kind of created a list and made some cold calls. And, uh, got, and Mike said yes. Yeah, and Mike, <laughs> and, and, and Mike came in, yeah. Well, that um, let, let's go then to the those rehearsals of the play for first look because that was the first time you three were involved. So so maybe you could just the three of you take turns describing the process. You said it was like three quick rehearsals and Yeah, like, I mean in my my typical Irish Catholic fashion because of how fast it happened. I mean I think I got called, you know, maybe a day or two later we were in rehearsal or something. I, I just assumed someone dropped out. I was, being, <laughs> I was I was bad in cleanup, you know. Um, uh-huh. But you know, I went to the University of Iowa to be a writer. The co-founder of the Gift, William Nedved, is a playwright and a screenwriter. So, um, you know, was no stranger to, to to processes like that, and knew that our sole reason for being there was for Andrew and for mm-hmm. the script, right? And continued to think that way going into first preview tonight. Jonathan, you you said that um, you think that Ed had reached out to you to, to direct this because he saw something in you as a director for playwrights. I mean, obviously there are directors who never work with a living playwright and there are directors who do that a lot. What do you think are the qualities that you have that Ed was seeing that made him want you to do that? Project? Patience. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I think um, the, 
the job of directing a new play is different than uh, directing an extant play in that I feel like the the director's job is, if you're in collaboration with the playwright, much more to uh, serve the playwright's intentions. Um, to kind of give the, the, the public the kind of cleanest, most pure right. um, version of, of a new play. Mm-hmm. Um, getting in touch with that and trying to figure out kind of the reason the reason Andrew sat down, you know, three and a half years ago now and mm-hmm. started to type in this play. Mm-hmm. Um, and then trying to kind of, from that, suss out as much as possible a, a production that serves that that mm-hmm. intent. Um, and it's, it's tricky to find, I think, the balance of... Um, uh, serving serving the playwright and serving yourself and you know finding that sort of you know equilibrium point where you aren't disappearing entirely but it, it mm-hmm. actually gets to be a collaboration i think that's all across the board i think that's the the, the best situation when it's like you're more of a midwife than you are uh, <laughs> you know bringing this thing into the world you know well how much did you feel free to dramaturg it essentially to make comments about the script either one of you in that process was that part of what ed offered or was it you guys just get it on its feet and andrew can worry about the script man it was so fast that 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 in that moment a lot of it was you know giving a direction to the actor and then turning to andrew and saying right question mark Uh and waiting for the 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 head nod or the head shake Uh um so, you know, and I think that's where that that method of work pulled through very much to this process in terms of, you know, uh, I think Andrew and I have been on the same page about a lot of the work. Occasionally we get uh, a, a beer and discuss uh, our opinions. But for the most part, I mean, it's been a really, really, you know, wonderfully cohesive process where the two of us have i think seen eye to eye yeah and not just the two of us i think Mm -hmm. that the whole group has been really really wonderful well so of the three of you michael's role has obviously changed the most um not his role as in actor's role but going from being just a guy who gets called in two days before to put this performance up to the producer Mm -hmm. and so talk about how you Decide. I mean, did, was it right away? You said, "Oh, I want this for gift." Or yeah, I think the moment I, I read it, I, I I knew that it was something that would work very well in our small space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the kind of criteria that we think of the gift is, you know, is it a great story? Can we tell with honesty and simplicity and and, and intimacy? And does it offer some roles that can stretch us? You know, and I mm-hmm. think the emotional and intellectual intimacy and, and tension in the play is really well served by a 30 seat storefront. You know, and there's things we can do in this room that we couldn't get away with in a, in a bigger theater. So I, I I think I had sent Andrew an email or phone call or something just said, just keep me apprised of what's, what's going on. And I had done the uh, Chicago dramatist for uh, reading after first look, about a year after first look probably. Mm -hmm. And, uh, just fell in love with it all over again. And, and, uh, as I think many companies were starting to uh, back away from world premieres with the economy. I mean, I had a very protracted conversation with, with Will Nedved about our season and and uh, how we didn't want to compromise. And we ended up, I mean, this is going to be our second world premiere in as many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we feel very good about that. You know, yeah. very good. 
So I felt that as an artistic director, the best way I could serve the play, knowing what playwrights and writers go through, would be to assemble the best team. And what I mean by that is, you know, let John hire who John likes to work with and not have me say, well, we like this guy. Why don't you use mm-hmm. this guy? Mm-hmm. And um, make sure to Andrew. Except and, me. And you right. hire me. <laughs> right. And, 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 me. <laughs> and I, I did audition. I had to, you know, I did the audition and a callback, I believe. But um, <laughs> He had seen you do it already. Right. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we, we auditioned nevertheless, yeah. you know. Uh, and um, and left uh, left the, the, the rest of the casting really up to them. If mm-hmm. something was really out of left field, certainly would have stepped in and said, I think you're out of your mind. But um, I, th- I just think it's very important for the world premiere, for them, both the director and the writer, to really feel that everything they wanted to accomplish was at their disposal. Mm-hmm. You, know? you didn't get in the way at all. Yeah, I've tried yeah. not to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, It's been quite freeing to not think about how is this being staged or how is this happening? I mean, I trust these guys. and uh-huh. I, I show up and simply try to, to do one role. So how, Jonathan and Michael, can you characterize how you see the script as having changed? And then I'll, well, maybe I should ask Andrew first, actually. Andrew. Sure. <laughs> how do you see the script as having changed over this now three-year um, process? Wow. Um, structurally, uh, one of the things that, one of the great things that came out of the Steppenwolf reading and and there's a relationship between brothers and the play mm-hmm. And how that was introduced, where it was introduced, uh, has evolved significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, the the structure of the play in general, uh, it, it used to begin with uh, the character that Mike is playing, uh, his entrance in the play, and it would flash back uh, to, to something else. And that has since um, been changed so that the play proceeds more or less chronologically. Right. Uh, we found that, uh, that that the flashbacks that were in older drafts felt very cinematic. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the one of the things that if it's a strength in the play, Mike mentioned the word intimacy. And we wanted to, you know, while having a sound structure, while having a, a solid story, we never wanted to lose the emotional honesty of the piece. And I, I think uh, some flashbacks there that felt cinematic felt like we, we were pulling out of out of six people in a room telling you a story, um, and and so that evolved. The structure evolved a little bit, and I think um, so. One, one piece I wanted to mention was uh, I think to, and it's it's totally to Ed Sobel's credit, but when he wrote me and said I really want to set you up with with Jonathan Barry because I think you'll see eye to eye. We, as Jonathan mentioned, we seem to be in stride, and I think we have a, a similar sensibility and a similar outlook, at least when it comes to this kind of subject matter. Right. Well, so, um, Michael, you may have answered this question, but for either you or Jonathan, if you feel like you see a problem in the script, do you, how do you decide whether to say it and how to say it? First of all, I had a lot more to say during and after the Steppenwolf process. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then coming in here, and we had some some conversations, and, like, again, early before, just about, you know, just making sure that we're on the same page about focus. But one of the, one of the real pleasures about coming in and working on this project is this, you know, Andrew didn't write it four and a half months ago. Right. You know, and it's I think... It's pretty developed, yeah. It, it is, and... and 
I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say it because I know that one of the things that's exciting about Chicago is, you know, doing new work, but I often feel like there's, there's not enough development process where, you know, authors are given an opportunity to hear their work out loud. And, and, you know, it's, it's often, we want your play, some play for this season, start writing it now, we'll go into cast and then it's up and you don't know the problems until, you know, the first, second week in the run. And then, and then it's sort of up and too late. And I think that the thing that happens then is, a lot of plays with a lot of promise get labeled bad plays. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not bad plays. They just haven't had this sort young of plays. gestation process right. that they mm-hmm. they need. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been really nice to walk into this this room and feel sort of extraordinarily confident in... This one's been tested and right. proved, essentially. Well, I, I want to go back, though, because I really am interested in... Writing, I mean, the playwright, ultimately, it's the playwright's play, and everybody knows that. But it's also true that the someone from outside, and particularly, I would think, when you're dealing with autobiographical material, may just be able to see what the playwright simply can't about what is or isn't working. But there has to be this negotiation or this process by which Andrew has to decide is this guy right or wrong, (laughs) you know? And how do you, I guess, first of all, Jonathan or Michael, how do you present an idea about someone else's work in the way that's most likely to be heard? And then, Andrew, how do you sort out, ultimately, do you, you know, you can't doubt yourself and yet you have to doubt yourself in some way. So, I don't know, I'm kind Mm -hmm. of mushing it all together. But start with Jonathan. Like, how do you say something in a way that's most likely to be heard. Or yeah. I think the, the biggest thing that's come up in, in this process has actually been um, trying to get Andrew to take just a little bit of a breath and knowing that uh, the actors are going to have a process and mm-hmm. that if a moment's not working, that it's not necessarily the writing. It might just be that the actor hasn't figured out how to play that moment uh-huh. yet. Uh-huh. Um, and And often that just, you know, takes a, a, a little bit of patience and we'll have a conversation about it where I say, you know, I, I think that actually the, the writing is fine. It was a note I gave half a day ago. It hasn't been totally processed yet. It's right. going to pay off in dividends two days from now, right. but you know, it's not something to sort of panic, um, panic at the end. But you're not talking, I mean, what's interesting to me about what you just said is you can picture the playwright saying, oh, this is great writing, but these actors are screwing it up. And what you're saying, Jonathan, is that Andrew says, oh my God, I've got to fix the writing. And you're saying, no, no, just give the actors time. They'll fix it, <laughs> which seems almost backwards from what you might think of kind of a cliched um, dynamic. And I would never, you know, one of the things that I think is a huge credit about the gift is the acting here is extraordinary and the cast is extraordinary. Right. So, I mean, I, it you don't be, feel like the actor's in the way at all. I think, no, yeah. no, qu- yeah. quite the opposite. But still, it's an interesting question because when you have, you know, when you do Shakespeare, there's no question about do we rewrite or or is it the performance? Mm. It's up to the actors and the director to solve any problem, period. Now you have this interesting thing where there's another court of appeal, so to speak. Mm. You know, you've got another approach to a problem, which is ask the playwright to do something about it. So, Well, I, I think it was very clear from the first day of rehearsal that, you know, uh, this wasn't a workshop, you right. know, uh, right. that, that, uh, you know, first of all, unless it's an, a, an ensemble devised piece, actors are never creators. You know, we're we're delivery people <laughs> right. of a blueprint of right. a, of a of a heart. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
So I think that's that's been that's been very clear, and I think a relieving uh, part of the process. You know, I mean, the one thing and the one minor thing that I had a question about, which presented me with a, a fork in the road of how to play the character. I mean, there's you know kind of two ways to to raise that with the director, and one's kind of a descriptive route, and the other's a prescriptive route, and. I think I just went the descriptive route and said, if I do A, it implies this. If I do B, it implies this. Mm-hmm. Just held that mirror up and then encourage a discussion about it and let me know what you want me to play. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a dramaturgical doctor here. You know, I just get to show up and, and play whatever the pages are, which is great. It can happen though, I imagine. I mean, I, I um, interviewed Itamar Moses shortly before, um, what was it? Um, uh, at ATC, he did a play, uh, The Four Killers. Can't think of the name, but anyway. So I interviewed him, I think, two days before previews, and it was clear he was doing major rewrites still. So I'm just pointing out that this is, it doesn't go without saying that any particular process would happen. It's essentially negotiated, whether overtly or not, whether you're going to keep fiddling with it to the last second. Well, I think it does go back to. Your point earlier about how some, and Jonathan's point and, and Mike's point about how some plays get produced probably before they're ready. Right. And, you know, as I mentioned, this was on a, a short list for, for production at, at Steppenwolf's first look in, in, uh, um, in 2008. And at, at that time, you know, I hadn't had a production of a two minute play in my mom's house. And uh-huh. she, you know, right. she was encouraging, but she said, you know, I need to <laughs> take it through a few more drafts before she's going to invite her a, friends over. It's a lovely space. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, she, I mean, she wrote a very nice rejection letter. It was great. If, um, if you can use an oven and a refrigerator in your scene, it's great. <laughs> yeah. It's great for your living room drama. Uh, but, so not only was the play not ready, you weren't ready, I think is what you're well, saying. Well, I just that think right? that, and I do think that the play was in, was in pretty solid shape at the step more freeing. I mean, I think it was still a, people seem to respond to it. And right. I think that, um, that's a part of what got all three of us excited right. about, about it, not just because the play was in decent shape, but something about the three of us working together seemed uh-huh. to create something that people responded to. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but that said, and then subsequently there were a couple of theaters that, uh, very nearly bid on it from ranging from the small theaters to a couple major regional theaters. Um, and, and there's a part of you, you know, as a, as a young playwright that wants, sure, you know, thinks it's great. That'd be fantastic. Right. Uh, but it really, it really has turned out in a wonderful way in terms of when it's being brought forward, uh, where it's being brought forward. Is, yeah. It's just, it's become the ideal situation. And I think the part of the reason I'm not saying to Jonathan, well, I think we'll just completely rewrite the last two scenes is because it has been through so much work. I mean, some of the biggest rewrites were four months before rehearsal, or maybe not quite that long, two or three months before rehearsal, we did a reading of the play. Uh-huh. And the first scene is an interview and um, was a disaster at that point. It was, I mean, it was just, it, I, it had, I had forgotten how to write. It was a bit of the, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How are you? You've asked me that already. And, uh, but if they ask seven times, it's dramatic. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, there's tension. There's, you know, the tension is, do I leave the theater now? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is exactly how you should do a first scene. Right. Great. Right. Um, and, and Jonathan just gave his feedback, which is, I think as a writer, what you want to hear, you want to hear very honest feedback about what the person experienced. Mm-hmm. So when I listen to this, it feels or, uh, yeah, is that and it, right? you know, and it, it, the only thing that's to me not helpful is I think what you should do on page four is write this scene. <laughs> and, and then I, you know, you, 
they have a computer. They can they can do right. that, and it's great. You go write your own play, and it may be better, but um, but it's not going to be my play. So, Andrew, going back to my question about how you know whether to listen to somebody or not. Sure. How do you, how know, do you know whether to listen to somebody <laughs> or not? I mean, you know, you have to. To some extent, you have to think, well, they're outside it. I trust them. I should listen. And some of you has to say, I want to do it my way. Well, in terms of uh, when you do a general reading and you have 100 people there and, and people you've never met, uh, I think it's important to absolutely hear their feedback. And I've even done very unconventional things like pull the audience and, and somebody will bring up a point and say, you know, this is how I interpreted that moment and and we'll even say, well, just kind of show of hands has, has how many people Thought experienced it, that. it that way. Right. What's helpful to me is to know how is the audience experiencing the play. Right. Oftentimes when I sit in an audience in a reading of a play, that is as helpful as the talk back because I sit in the happening. back of the theater, mm-hmm. I watch where they're engaging and, and when they're not. Right, right. I think sense. the most important thing for a playwright is to know, to know what it is he or she wants to say Yes, mm-hmm. um, so that there's – some kind of litmus test to to the responses because I have certainly been in a really really scary room where the player that I was working with did not have a really really strong reason for writing the play and then you know again you get in a situation where anything goes and there's no criteria there's, to judge a response as right. being to the point or not or so yeah. ideas are grabbed at and mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really, really easy for a play to lose its center that right. way. I think that's what is, you know, the uh, the cause of no small amount of anxiety. And this wonderful process is that, um, you know, this isn't a, a, a hyper intellectual conception uh, on Andrew's part. I mean, we, it, it's so abundantly clear how personal this story is. Mm-hmm. You know, the heart is unavoidable in this mm-hmm. in this piece, mm-hmm. and I, I, I hope. You know, we all are bringing our hearts to it too, and uh, there's there's a, a wonderful pressure I think that I feel um, being part of this that you know I haven't felt in almost ten years now at the gift with working on on world premieres is we feel uh, such responsibility mm-hmm. towards the genesis of this play, and so it, there's a there's a personal investment that I haven't felt uh, in almost a decade that that. Uh, that uh, makes makes a less than star night at work just uh, devastating. But it really matters if you screw up. It's vital. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that it must be clear to anyone listening how invested all of you are in this project. And um, having seen the dress rehearsal, I can say that that shows on the stage. So thank, thank you. you so much. Thank, thank you, you so much for the much. time.